This is the Delivery Space Podcast. Whether you're interested in software delivery, business change, or transformation, we have some great content lined up for you. We launch into different areas of delivery and bring you insights and experiences that you won't get from a book. Welcome, I'm Nisha, and this is our episode on the double-edged sword of diversity in teams. Today, I have a special guest who's come back for a return visit. Hello, Christian, how are you? Hello, Nisha, I'm doing fine. And the last time was so much fun that we just wanted to do it again, right? About a different topic. Um, but thank you for having me in, in the podcast and for giving me an opportunity to talk about your research that we're doing. Thank you for coming, Christian. For our listeners that haven't met you before, um, would you be able to give us a short introduction to yourself so that they can get to know you? Sure. Um, so I'm Christian Verrijs. I'm one of the two founders of The Liberators, together with Pauline Overeem, who's my business partner, uh, and my work husband, as we sometimes jokingly say. <laughs> um, I'm also ma- I'm married to Lisanne, my wife, in, and I live in Utrecht in the Netherlands. Um, I'm, but, but from background, I'm an organizational psychologist, which will be relevant to this, uh, to this podcast. Um, I'm also a software engineer. Um, I, most of my work experience is as a software engineer, as a Scrum master. I eventually became a professional Scrum trainer for Scrum.org, wrote the Zombie Scrum Survival Guide together with Buddy Overeem and Shutdown. Um, and recently, I started doing more scientific research because that's just something I really enjoy doing. And I think it's very helpful to bring more scientific research into our profession, which is what we'll be talking about uh, in this podcast. I love that. Thank you, Christian. In your recent um, research that you've done with Daniel Russo, you've published results from a scientific study that you performed, right, on diversity, on conflict, psychological safety. Can you give us an overview of that study, please? Because I'd love to get into it. And, and, and its findings in this episode. Yeah, so a highlight overview, and you mentioned already, I did it together with Professor Daniel Russo, who is from the University of Aalborg. I've already authored a few papers with him. There are more coming up, but it's a very, uh, very nice collaboration with him. Um, but in our study, we wanted to investigate how diversity affects uh, agile teams. There's already been quite a lot of research into general teams and also some research into agile teams, but the findings are always very, very inconsistent. Some mm-hmm. studies show a positive effect of diverse teams. Some studies show an, another effect or no effect at all. Um, and we wanted to test uh, a particular model we can talk about in more detail later um, and where we basically say that the effect of diversity on team effectiveness depends on other things. For example, the safety that exists in teams and whether or not there is a lot of relational conflict. And uh, unfortunately, to some extent, our results are also interestingly inconsistent, which sort of adds to all the research that's already been done. So it's a, it's a complex topic with a lot of opportunity for reflection and for, uh, for discussion, which is what we'll be doing, I think, in this episode. Absolutely. So your article on the same subject that the, where you, where you actually, um, bring together all of that research, um, and draw a lot of, um, a lot of observations around that inconsistency. Can you go into why double-edged? Why is it, why is this double-edged sword exist when it comes to diversity in teams? What does it mean? Right. Yeah. That's always, it was a tricky title to come up with because um, my personal belief is that it's very important for for teams to be diverse for a number of reasons. For example, 
it's just a good it's good if teams reflect the distribution in in society at large and it's not just white guys in the team but it's it's important that it's it's diverse uh, it also has benefits we know this from research um, but one of the the the, the challenges is that um, it's 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 there may also be some other sides to it like it may also cause some issues in teams it may cause more conflict in teams which is also something we see in research is also in my personal experience what sometimes happens because if you have more diversity in teams, there is more opportunity for misunderstandings because you oh. come from different backgrounds, maybe you come from different roles, different age groups, different genders, uh, different cultural backgrounds, and that can create misunderstandings. And if you don't know how to deal with that as a team, then it may harm your uh, your effectiveness. Um, and that's that's why we wanted to investigate this because um, there is there are, there are often a lot of quite simplistic beliefs about diversity in teams. Either the message is focus on diversity and, and put as many different people together as you can, or the message is let's not do that and keep teams as homogeneous as possible. And both of these, I think, are not grounded in evidence, and our investigation is basically a way to bring more detail to that. So when I read your article, I have to confess I was surprised because... The messages that we're getting from society, the media, social media, general media, is diversity is a great thing. You have to be able to embrace it. Nobody tells you how. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> That's the thing, right? Yeah. Nobody tells you how. And you're... Um, and if some people listening to this will will mean will say, what do you mean, Nisha? Like, um, we know how to work in diverse teams. That's great. But is there some intentionality behind it? Are you making sure that you are astute to the differences that there are in the team? Are you being astute to, like you, like you just said, where areas where there could be differences that could cause clashes or misunderstanding or language barriers? Because that's also possible, right? For sure, and and that's maybe also important to men to clarify what we mean by diversity, at least in the context of our study. Yes. You have a lot of different ways in which people can be diverse, right? There is neuro neurological diversity. That's that's an example. Personality traits could be different, but in our case, we look particularly at demographic variables. So you're talking about age, gender, role, and cultural background. And there are more demographic variables, but you have to focus on something. And and for all of these variables, there was already some evidence that it can have an effect on team effectiveness. So that's the definition of diversity we used and. Effectiveness in this case, we measured by taking a look at stakeholder satisfaction of the teams that were involved in the investigation, mm -hmm. uh, but also uh, the, the, the morale of the team members. Uh, so that's basically how we define team effectiveness. And maybe one caveat has already mentioned up front. My personal belief is that even if we would find like scientific evidence that team effectiveness is lower in diverse teams, I would, that's not what we're going to find, by the way. Um, even then, I would say diversity is important in teams because teams should be a reflection of the society and maybe even try to be more diverse than society because teams, the workplace is where you spend most of your time. Like I, right. I spend most more time with my colleagues than with my wife or with my friends. And it's important, I think, to be surrounded by people from different backgrounds, different perspectives, different belief systems. I think that that's important. So even if we would find a negative effect, I would still say aim for diverse teams, but it's it's a complicated story and there's a lot we can still learn about this as we'll discuss. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, 
one point you just made about this, I think it's really important for everyone to appreciate, right? Our products that we're designing, that we're building, that these teams are looking at, whether they're going to those end users within the same companies that we're working or whether they're going to the marketplace outside. How diverse is that now? Mm-hmm. Most Good of point. us are competing in a world marketplace, yeah, global right? Space. Global Absolutely. market space. How diverse actually is that right now? So uh, a homogeneous team, as you quite rightly put it, looking at them, doesn't matter if they exist in England, the Netherlands, India, a completely homogeneous team. Are they going to be able to tap into the needs of customers and the diverse group of uh, demographics that they're aiming at? Don't know. I doubt it. So like exactly as you said, like if you want to be able to compete in that marketplace or appreciate um, that diversity within your team and be intentional about it, there's a big, huge benefit to be had here, right? Totally. Absolutely. And the the point you make is a really important one. Uh, If you work for customers and you don't know how your customers are using your product, you're not going to be successful. And the thing is, I mean, as an example, I worked in a company where we had fortunately quite diverse teams, could have been better, but they were quite diverse already. But one one thing that was always an issue is I'm colorblind, uh, red-green colorblind. I was the only red-green colorblind person in the company, and I always saw which parts of the user interface were unclear to me because the colors, I, I couldn't see the colors. A lot of your customers, or a percentage of your customers, I think for men, it's about a third of men are red, green, colorblind, mm-hmm. maybe a bit less. So it's, it's really important to have that sort of diversity in teams too. And the same goes for age differences. People from different age groups use, use online platforms differently. They, they, they use different words. So it's really important to have that background in your team. Yeah. Because you're reminding me of an example in my career as well. So like during, you know, during lockdown and during COVID, I worked with a startup. We're all remote, but the startup was about making wills online. And um, they partnered, this company used to partner with, they had a great business model. They used to partner with charities. So say I was passionate about animals. Um, So I would make a will and make sure that I gave, you know, um, whatever I left behind or a portion of it to, um, say, for example, the RSPCA, so um, a society um, for the prevention of cruelty to, to animals. Now, typically, those that are making those will, the, the wills are of a slightly older generation. Mm-hmm. So we had exactly that accessibility concerns, and we got people from those charities from those age groups to be able to take part in some of our testing within Sprint because we needed that viewpoint. We needed that, you know, we thought, and we were working with an accessibility agency, great, but we just, we needed that proof. And sometimes, yeah, you, you have to be able to embrace that that diversity either within the team or within your, um, you know, within your demographic. And this yeah, we talked a lot about this yesterday. We'll go into it a bit more in terms of our experiences. But it's so much fun recounting these situations that we take for granted. Oh, I'm, I'm working for a company that makes wills. You working for a software company, you, you can actually come in and give advice on the accessibility based mm-hmm. on the diversity you bring. I Within that company, 
it was the demographic of the slightly older generation being involved in the sprints and our testing as real customers being involved. Awesome. You take it for granted whilst you're doing it, don't you? Mm-hmm. And then when you're talking about this in podcasts like this, you remember and go, oh, yeah, that was when it really helped us. And, and what you're explaining now is a, is a good example of one of the elements of the, the research that we've done. It's called the cognitive resource diversity theory. Yes. It's a pretty well-known theory that says, uh, basically, it's a, a, an idea from cognitive psychology. The idea is that people are information processors. And if they're in teams, then the team as a whole was sort of an information processing unit. It's kind mm-hmm. of technical words, but cognitive psychology is based on computer metaphors. So it kind of makes sense. But... The idea is that if you have a more diverse teams, you have more different different hardware essentially in a team and different hardware can process information differently and come up with different insights. So if you have diversity in teams, at least this theory says this and there is support for this, you have more viewpoints, more perspectives on the challenge at hand, so you'll be more effective. But one of the things you already see in the research on this theory specifically is that it depends on the kind of work that you do as a team. If it's very repetitive work that you're doing, then there's not really a lot of benefit of having different perspectives. It may actually even increase conflict because you have more misunderstandings and you have to spend a bit more time maybe to understand each other and where everyone's coming from. But if the work is more complicated and it takes more effort and requires more creativity, that's where you have more benefit from from diversity, from diverse perspectives. So that's already a nice example of what, what of that particular theory that we discuss in our paper. Yeah. So that's one side of the sword, right? But that's then one there comes yeah, that's one side. Then there comes the similarity attraction paradigm. You're going to be better at explaining this, Christian. I get it, but I'd <laughs> love you to explain it. Go for it. I'll give it a try. Um, so this is this is a theory from social psychology. And social psychology looks at people from the perspective of how they interact in groups um, and, and how people are social animals in, in, in a sense. Well, they are social animals, not even in a sense they are. Um, and one of the core aspects of social psychology is that our, our brains are sort of have evolved to constantly categorize people into categories. Mm. And those categories can elicit stereotypes. And that doesn't have to be a bad thing that these stereotypes can be okay and positive, but they can also have all sorts of negative connotations. Um, so for example, if you're in a team, it's possible that you have, uh, uh, th- there could be a categorization, social categorization into a group, the, the women of the team and the men of the team or the members of the team that are sort of in the same age group compared to the older members. But it could also be based on role diversity. For example, all the developers are together and then you have the architects or the testers. And the thing is, um, the similarity attraction paradigm says that, and there's a lot of evidence for this, that we tend to like people that look more like us. Um, and that's, that's a social reality of how our brains evolve over, over the millions of years that we've been around. And that's, that's sometimes very difficult. Um, but it's a, something we have to deal with. Um, and in the, the, the double-edged sword, the, what this means is that if you're working with groups of people, you will have this categorization have, effect will always happen. Um, and it can be either harmful to teams or it can be beneficial. If it's harmful, what happens is that teams essentially fracture along the, the, sub, the social subgroups that exist. So mm-hmm. the developers cluster together and they move apart. And the testers cluster together and they move apart. 
or people from different cultural backgrounds cluster together. Uh, maybe the people that work in India in a team cluster together. And then you have the people from Western Europe that cluster together. And that's when it's actually harmful uh, because then diversity in a team creates fractures and uh, creates increases conflict. And or people can withdraw from the team, which is also a form of conflict. Thank you for highlighting that. I've experienced listening to you. I've experienced every single one of those. Yesterday, Christian, you told me a really cool story about um, intentional hiring within your team to try and bring the diversity in, in one of your teams that you worked in, to try and bring the diversity in so that this this kind of scenario doesn't happen. Can you talk to us about it? Because I love the intentionality behind that and your experiences. Yeah, if you if you are willing to also share the example that you gave yesterday, which I think is another great illustration of this. We had a really nice chat yesterday about Swerdy. Yeah. Um, yeah, the company I worked for for a long time, one of the things we wanted to do was we never really hired new employees. All, all the people that worked for the company started as interns. And one of the aims was always to find interns from abroad. So uh, we had an intern from Turkey. We had people from Belarus, from Ukraine, from Russia, uh, from other parts of the world, from Spain. Uh, there was one one person from Brazil. That came in and that was on purpose uh, because we felt it was a good way for just for us as human beings to interact more as human beings rather than people for just a bunch of guys from the Netherlands where I'm from. Um, I personally found it very, very enlightening to learn from people from other parts of the world, but also to discover how similar we are, right? It's yeah. not about how different you are, it's how similar you are. We're all people, the same kind of concerns, the same kind of interests often. Um, so that was a, a really a strategic choice. And one example we had in particular was that we started cooking food, um, or basically someone would bring food that was typical from the part of the world they came from. So we had pierogi at some point, which is, I think, a Ukrainian uh, dish and a Belarusian dish. We also had Turkish sausages. That's <laughs> that the, the, the guy who brought them was actually, we actually had to buy a stove, an electric stove, so he could make it. Um, wow. And once we got the stove, everyone else started doing that too. So I made pancakes at some point for lunch, nice. Dutch pancakes. Um, but that was a lot of fun. Like that was a really good opportunity to bond as, as human beings, essentially. Yeah. Um, and I still, I still remember that fondly. Yeah. I love that. I just side side point. You mentioned Dutch and pancakes. My God, right? I went to Zebra Academy um, a play event that they had earlier on this year. Me and my sister spent like a weekend in Amsterdam. You guys do the most amazing savory pancakes, and you'd think, right? Because we're vegan in so many years. Like, uh, you know, Europe wouldn't really understand veganism. Meat, meat and vegetables and stuff like that is the main draw. Oh, my Lord, was I wrong? For pancakes, it's very easy, right? Most pancakes don't have meat. Yeah. yeah but then also, no, but like the filling was great. Like they, these were savory pancakes with creative fillings. And normally there's one or two items on a, on a menu that we can eat. This was great. I digress, but I will on this on the topic of sh uh, food. I will also share my example. Um, so I was working with a broadcast company here in the UK, looking after four scrum teams. We had an, an offshore supplier, so offshore colleagues um, and blended teams, right? So there were teams from uh, the 
the broadcast channel that were permanent employees and others from uh, the, the offshore supplier that we had. And we would make it a, a tradition that every six months the teams would rotate. So our uh, colleagues in Kolkata, which is where they were based, would get a chance to come over to us. A few of us would be team leads and scrum masters and coaches would be able to go over there so that we would get that um you know, that that appreciation of each other's culture, ways of working, ways of thinking about problems. Um, and I got this idea. Uh, the team started getting more diverse and diverse in every way. And in those categories that you mentioned, I, for one, replaced a male delivery lead within the team, right? So mm -hmm. I was in there as a woman. We were getting more female colleagues coming in from Kolkata. And one day, it was lunchtime, and... I could smell some beautiful smells. It was early on in the job from coming from the kitchen because of all the food that these guys were cooking at home and coming and warming up. And there I was with my £2.53 quid or whatever, waiting for the sandwich trolley. And I was like, okay, what can we do to try and sort of get a bit more appreciation? Because these smells were gorgeous, right? They'd remind me of like mum's home cooking and all of that. And I was like, right. What we could do is we could have a team lunch, a pot lunch. So we got everybody to make, like you, to make um, dishes, not necessarily where they came from, but dishes that they could make and love yeah, to make. I love that, yeah. And we had a pot lunch and we, obviously like there's a lot of Indian food, but then there was also gorgeous food from everywhere else that was represented, you know, from people that are bought and brought up in the UK. My cooking repertoire is quite limited. So I decided to bring in Mexican food. We talk about an hour, hour and a bit. We talk to each other about stuff that we wouldn't normally talk to each other about. And then that kicked off a whole load of social events that we would we would have and I've got to thank my boss at that time Adam Bailey he was amazing like it was his idea to do the rotation between the teams to award team members who had performed especially well to bring them over to the UK to and kind of just help them integrate with other team members as well um and it, and do you know what like Krishna I have to say at one point you couldn't detect who was an impl permanent employee from the broadcasting channel and who was um, an offshore team member from a supplier. You couldn't. It's such a because, great example. Yeah, people were that close and to that extent where if one of the scrum teams was trying to make a release and was suffering from defects or some last-minute problems, they would all, I would see it all, they would all rally around each other. I'd be walking off to go home, they'd still be rallying around each other to resolve things so one person didn't feel like they were on their own doing it um so yeah i've seen diversity like come to play like where diversity um is really really embraced um and and, and thought of in in a really positive way to bring people together right yeah because your example also illustrates nicely that similarity attraction paradigm it, it, in, the, in the example you gave is the doing this lunch together actually shows that you're more similar than you might think initially yeah. That you like the same kind of food or you dislike the same kind of food, right? And that all those examples of where you discover similarities instead of differences, where you might think there are differences based on superficial stereotypes, that's how you, uh, how you actually have a better effect on team effectiveness. Um, mm. 
this might actually be a good jumping point to briefly mention the categorization elaboration model, just briefly as a yes. as an intermission. Is that sort of the foundation for our investigation? So, uh, like I was just saying, the cognitive resource diversity theory and so similarity attraction paradigm are two competing mechanisms that predict different effects of diversity. But there is more recently a model by Van Knippenberg, Tudre and Holman. It's called the categorization elaboration model. And what it, it's, it's too detailed to go into to explain it fully, but the, it basically integrates both of these mechanisms. And it says, based on the type of task that you do as a team, that's where cognitive resources are important. And mm -hmm. uh, if the task is complex enough and challenging enough, there will be a positive effect of diversity. However, if there is a lot of, uh, so if there is a lot of diversity in teams, but there is low trust in the team, uh, then self-identification will be lower and people will start to feel threatened in their own identity. Um, and they call this identity threat that's a whole research field in its own right. And that actually creates conflict or passive conflict. And that actually harms team effectiveness. So basically they integrate both of those mechanisms in a single theory. And that's what we, we tested part of that theory, theoretical model in our paper. That's really interesting. How do you think we can we can prevent that in our teams? Well, what the theory predicts is that if you, and that's what we tested, is that if you increase psychological safety and trust in teams, then the effect of diversity will be more beneficial. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, the results that we found do not really support that because we, do, we don't find an effect at all. Uh, but this is just one study, right? And we investigated 161 teams or I think 1,118 team members. But you have some other investigations that do find effects and others that still don't. But um, in, in essence, the, 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 the categorization elaboration model says build trust, build safety in teams, um, and, and make sure that team members uh, learn about each other as individuals. Um, and they sometimes call this the diversity mindset, which is the idea that diversity is not a threatening thing. It's something that should be interesting and fun to explore. Yeah. And that you can also see that behind superficial diversity, there's often a lot more similarity than you think. Um, and as a coach, as a scrum master, I think there are many ways you can, like the, 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 the lunch that you just gave as an example or the, what we did in our company, these are all examples of how you can actually foster a diversity mindset where you mm -hmm. say diversity is not, is not threatening. Um, there is space for everyone to be themselves. And um, like I said yesterday, you have a lot of these studies that look at uh, personality differences between men and women. And yes. they very consistently find that there are there is more variation within genders than there is between genders. So the differences between genders as categories isn't all that big. The differences between one man and another man can be much larger on openness, extroversion, or conscientiousness or one of the other personality traits and between a man and a woman or another gender. So that's, that's I think, always really important to keep in mind. I love that. Christian, share that, share the link of that study with me and I'll include it sure. um, in, the, in the post for when this episode goes out. Does that make you think, Christian, true connection doesn't need, and, and collaboration with, within teams doesn't need all these labels? What labels are you referring to? Like the, the, the different, like man, woman, uh, well, roles? 
too much attention. Those labels exist, right? Yeah. And we, we understand those labels and we're respectful of the labels, right? I'm of Indian heritage. I live in the UK. I'm a female. Christian, male, lives in yeah. the Netherlands. Yeah, white guy from the Netherlands. Yeah, <laughs> middle-aged. <laughs> <laughs> hey, middle-aged too. Don't matter. Don't matter to me. But like, this is what I'm thinking. When it comes to teams, we, we're respectful. That's why I'm saying like the, the labels, they shouldn't matter too much because as long as we're respectful of each other and we understand what's important to each other and create that space to get to know each other, that's what matters, doesn't it? Absolutely. I think so too. Yeah. And, and that ultimately it's the, 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 the labels are wrong anyways. Uh, right. So. I, I agree. It's about people. And as a coach and as a, as a scrum master, someone working with teams, this is something you can invest in. Let people get to know each other on a personal level. Talk about hobbies. Talk about shared interests. Talk about yesterday you mentioned Blackadder or some yeah. TV show or a movie that you're a fan of or what kind of music do you like? Let people bring music to the workplace. That's what we also did at the company I worked for. We had a shared playlist and people could put their own music in. And awesome. sometimes it was hilarious because there was Schlager at one point and there was Death metal was the next song, but <laughs> at some point I think we stopped because it became a bit too crazy. But it's it's it that was a lot of fun, um, and you can play you can play games together, just a, a game night, um, and and have fun. And ultimately, that's important. But I think all this underscores that it takes effort, um, mm. and one of the risks of diversity as the way it's sometimes portrayed in management theories about teams is that the idea is if you just put as many different people together in a team, then it'll be okay. And I think what we're saying, and that's not even specific to diverse teams, is it takes effort for people to form a, to actually form a team. Yes. And if they come from very different backgrounds, then it may take a bit more effort, but the, the, it will be worth it even more. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I, what I strongly believe. And, but unfortunately, if you look in day-to-day practice, many companies still form teams very randomly. They just put people together. There's no kickoff, no effort in team building and so on. But that's really so important. I mean, as an organizational psychologist, I cannot tell you how many studies show how vital that is. Mm. And still many people frown and say, like, mm, we're professionals, so we don't need team building. And that's just, that's not true. It's just wrong. It doesn't wash with me. If if we were put into a team and we didn't have um, any of that team building, building team agreements, figuring out how we're going to disagree with each other. Like, you know, if I'm going to disagree with you on this, Christian, this, how would you like me to express it? Nisha, if I'm going to give you feedback on this, how would you like me to express it? You should be able to choose those things. They're your rights. Mm-hmm. They're, they are, they're, they're, they're a human right within teams. That's how I feel about it. Absolutely. Right? I agree. Yeah, I agree. You I should agree. be able to say that. Um, the Blackadder thing was really good. Uh, we've had a lot of laughs with colleagues around like how Baldrick would handle sprint reviews, whether he'd come out of it saying, oh, I've got a cunning plan or, you know, which is really not cunning. It's actually really stupid knowing Baldrick and, and his shenanigans. But you know, it's it, to find that to have that humor that could, you know, bring people together is also a really good thing. Um, and you, you, you laugh, you lighten the atmosphere. It's just, it's a wonderful thing. You made a really good point. Um, 
uh, earlier in this conversation around Scrum Masters and coaches being astute and understanding um, what dynamics are at play within teams. Because you talked about cliques, right? You talked about clusters actually forming. And um, uh, I've seen this, testers together, age groups together, like in different cliques, um, developers, et cetera, et cetera, people with the same cultural background. But I've also seen when coaches and scrum masters are astute to that, they know it's happening and they put in play some uh, facilitation exercises or some events outside work to bring everybody together. And it works really well. Mm. And the magic thing is the morning after, you notice the interaction between the teams and slowly you notice this. Yeah, there's this afterglow always uh, that you see in teams after they've done something fun together. I agree. Right. They're sharing experiences together. All right, what did you think about what this comedian says? Oh, did you remember that joke? Because we all went to see a comedian overnight. Um, Their their communication is so much more free-flowing, which is as it should be, right? Yeah. It absolutely should be. I wish every team to have that kind of interaction. And and that takes a little bit of effort, but that's okay. And I would always say um, if people form cliques, it's not necessarily a problem as long mm-hmm. as it doesn't happen all the time. And, yes. and you don't notice any downsides because sometimes it's also just fun to hang around with people from the same age group and talk about the things that you're into because that's part of the age group you're in. Um, that's okay, but always make sure to do both. Um, and as a Scrum Master, you can make an observation about this and say, I noticed that we're always drifting off into our own groups during lunch. Maybe we could do a shared lunch together um, and just bring in the food in, into the office or go somewhere and have dinner or have drinks together, after, not after work, but at the end of the workday. Mm. Um, so th- 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 those are things you can do. Um yeah. Just don't make it black and white, right? It's, it's yes. always, you have to sense what's going on in the team and, and see if there's conflict or if there's a lack of conflict, which is also a form of conflict. Um, yeah, it, it takes a lot of work, right? Building teams. That, <laughs> that you yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's underestimated about it how is. much work it actually yeah. takes. And you, you again, there is this um, expectation sometimes by senior management or management theory that as soon as you set up a team like that and they're going together and they're heading towards a, a purpose, it will just happen. But it doesn't. I'm living proof that it doesn't happen. And often I've been a scrum master in some of these situations that we've been describing, Christian, not knowing what to do. I've had to mm. learn what to do. I've had to talk to other scrum masters in my peer group, other agile coaches say, hey, listen, you're coming across this, you know, I'm coming across this in these scenarios with these teams. What do I do? I can't get them to talk to each other. And then they share practices and it becomes better because I put something into place or we do something social. Um, And even those team members who are reluctant to go see others, right? It's a bit, it's quite contagious because you Mm. see that, that atmosphere within the team with a few people coming together and others want to know, Hold on a minute. I want to work like that. Exactly. Yeah. Make it right. so interesting that people join on, by, on their own, and you can set the example. And just model the behavior that you're looking for in others. Also, when it's not working out, and just be open about that. Like I tried this thing, it didn't work. Sorry. Uh, yeah, but that's really important. And yeah. it's what you just said about management not always understanding this. Honestly, it's frustrating to me because 
a lot of people, especially people in a high management position, usually have done MBAs or uh, have some academic background, so they should know better. Uh, they mm. should know the wealth of literature we have, both in management, science, and organizational psychology on how difficult it is to build good teams. Mm. Unfortunately, it's getting better. So there is a general movement to include more of that into education of MBAs. Um, but there is still a lot of ground to gain. And even among scrum masters and agile coaches, there's sometimes this idea that it's more important to get Jira up and running, that that's what agile and scrum is all about, or that, that there's a scrum board and that you have the scrum events and that that's in place and there's a definition of done on the wall. But most of the work that you need to do has everything to do with the social realities of teamwork and, yeah. and change. And unfortunately, the scrum guide doesn't tell you anything about that. Um, no. So you have to learn a lot more in addition to scrum. Um, and I would always recommend just dive into organizational psychology. There's so much research that's useful. Uh, there are people you can follow on LinkedIn that have a lot of information, and I'll, I'll share some with you that you can include in show notes yeah. uh, and learn from them. That would be really cool. Liberating structures also kind of comes into its own here in this space. Christian, can you give us a few examples? Yeah, so liberating structures like the thing we discovered five or six years ago now totally put our world upside down in terms of how we facilitate things at the liberators. And we've since been spreading it around and a lot more people are using it. Mm -hmm. Just a very simple thing you could do is a, a, just a liberating structure one, two for all. It's easy to run. Almost everyone can do it. You start with a question. It could be something work-related. It could also be a personal question like, what is a perfect day? What does a perfect day for you look like? It's just an example question, just pulling out of my hat. Um, uh, and then you ask individually, just take a minute to think about this and write some, make some notes if you want to. Then you ask people to form pairs and in their pair exchange what they wrote down, how they answer the question and maybe build on it. Maybe they come up with more ideas together or they refine it a little bit. And then as pairs, you form a group of four. So you, as a pair, you find another pair. You go on a double date, essentially. And just for uh, four minutes, the two pairs share what they, uh, what they uh, answer to the question. And as a group of four, they build on it again. And maybe they will also notice some patterns already. Like uh, mm -hmm. the thing that a perfect day for all of us sort of looks like this. It has to have a social component. We want some downtime. We want to have some good food at the end of the day. Just coming up with stuff now. Um, and then at the end, you do a, a discussion with all the groups of four. You just ask everyone, so what are the patterns that jumped out at you? Uh, and you can use one, two, for all for pretty much any scenario. And it's a really good way to make sure everyone's included, regardless of the labels they have, so to say. Um, and it's a great way to build an inclusive uh, climate in a team and, and outside of teams. That's one that. example. Is there another that you have in mind that, that you've used? Yeah, I've used a couple. I've used one, two, for all for values discussions, actually, mm. um, because I noticed there are very um, differing um, kind of uh, personalities within the team. So there'd be a mixture of introverts, extroverts, and I've been wanting to get them to open up and feel comfortable to open up. So I've used one, two, for all for values discussions um, to be able to get them to be more vocal around it. As in, you know, what do the Scrum great. values mm -hmm. mean to us? It's okay just in the Scrum Guide. They're just words in the Scrum Guide. But what happens when you talk about them? 
Mm-hmm. What happens, yeah. right? Why they just lift them up from being just words, bring them into your life. What, what, how do you relate to them? So that's a, thank you for mentioning one, two, four because we've talked, we've used that. Yeah, and to Are riff you, on that, we could actually, yeah, you could on. actually make that. You're uh, not even about Scrum values, but if you're talking about diversity, you could ask questions like, "What are the values that you got from your parents? Uh, like, what, what, what were the values instilled in you from childhood?" and yeah. That might also be a very interesting discussion because for some people the values will be very different, and yeah. that that's always a potential source of conflict in teams if people have very different value sets that they work from. Yeah. Um, I remember your story actually makes me remember um, a, a global gathering of liberating structures, the whole community in Seattle several yeah. years ago, and what was really fun there were people from all over the planet there, so that was just a wealth of diversity and it was incredible. And one of the exercises that we ran with 300 people, so it was a very large group. Um, we did sort of an impromptu networking with some twists, but every round they gave a different prompt. And one of the prompts was, um, tell, tell the story of the land where you came from, like the land where you grew up. Um, mm-hmm. that was one question. Another question was, uh, what did you do as when your parents told you to go outside and play? What did you do? That's such a nice question, right? And I can still remember what some of the people told me while uh, while we were doing that because it's such an insight into someone's personal life as a child and growing up. And we also had, there was also a question like, tell tell the story of your name. Like, what does it mean? And where does it come from? Is it some, are you named after someone else? Or, uh, and that's, those are questions that are very much about diversity, um, but also build a connection between people. I love that. Nicked. I'm taking those. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> they're from, I think they're from Julie Hoffaker and Karen Doss, the two friends that we met there. I think that they came up okay. with those questions, but they're really good at this. They're wonderful questions, aren't they? I can imagine like the the lovely, meaty, juicy discussions that you would have, um, you know, within teams and that bring people together. Because yeah, like there's there's so much to talk about, and it's about you, right? You're you're yeah. sharing what you feel yeah. comfortable with in that scenario. Everyone's smiling if you do this. <sighs> Definitely nicked. <laughs> All right. So um, you asked about other other examples. I use the journey lines um, from Lisa Atkins, where you have a blank piece of paper. I oddly do not have a blank piece of paper on my desk right now, but you get the picture, you have a blank piece of paper and you draw a a line right down the middle of it and you get to choose what milestones, what significant events you want to share with your team that have brought you to this place. Mm. You know, what's really shaped you, um, you, uh, talking about significant achievements in your life, what you're really proud of, gives you a chance to talk about all of that. Um, so that they can get an insight into you. And then what's a lovely thing, I um, added um, a thing on that, that people would listen to you, right, during that time. So you go through your journey line, people in your team would listen to you, and they would listen out for your superpower. So then they would say, like, oh, Christian's superpower, after he's talked through his journey line, is curiosity, so then they give you that superpower. And Christian, how do you feel about that? It's great. Yeah. And that way you get known for your superpower, which actually is, is, is it enforces something really positive about you. Yeah, it's very um, appreciative. I like it. Yeah. And then uh, the manual of me is similar as well. So it allows you to express, you know, um, similar to what you said earlier, like what does my perfect day at work look like? What am I really passionate about? What are things that annoy me 
um, so people can get to know like what the sources of you know the things that irritate me should. Um, you know things that you how where are your development areas where where would you really like to like to thrive and develop um and they people can get to know that about you which is so much more than a rounded picture imagine how dry our scrum events would be if we didn't have that knowledge and that lovely mm. lovely information about each other right yeah and i love that i'm nicking those two examples from you then <laughs> okay we trade <laughs> Christian, we're about to um, wind up our session. Please, can you share the key takeaways that you would want anyone listening and watching this episode to come away with? I think one clear theme is that we both shared a lot of stories where diversity was a was definitely a treat for us, and being in a team with people from diverse backgrounds was a, a life enriching opportunity. I think it, it should be. I think I wish everyone to have that opportunity. At the same time, just putting people from different diverse backgrounds together without any support, without any effort to making it into a team, it's going to be hard. Maybe a bit harder than if you put people from all the same background together. Um, but ultimately, diversity in teams is is here to stay, and it should. Um, and and I think as scrum masters, agile coaches, managers, product owners, we have a lot of tools available to help teams um, become better, and and also create a very life enriching environment for the members. I love it. Thank you, Christian, and so 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 much uh, thanks and gratitude for you joining us a second time round. We've really appreciated this, and I've appreciated you giving us an insight into your research. Long may your scientific research continue, so you can keep bringing that back to the Scrum community. Cool. Can I say one thing before we close that, that's related to that? We actually got our peer review, the first feedback in for a paper that we talked about in this podcast about diversity. Yeah. Um, it was very positive, so we don't need to go through another peer review around. We just have to make some small modifications, and then it will be published. Um, but that's that's all. That's all. So part of the scientific process, right? It has to yeah. be rigorously reviewed by other academics that we don't know is anonymous. Um, and usually, you have to make a lot of changes. That's how it usually goes. But for our paper, they were like, "Yeah, it's a really nice paper." Here are some small modifications. So it's not peer reviewed yet, or it's peer reviewed, but it's. Uh, going to be published hopefully uh, in the coming months and there's a lot more research coming up because we have a lot more questions that we want to answer with with data i bet you do thank you and congratulations much deserved thanks so much it was a pleasure being here nisha thank you everyone watching and listening make sure that you follow us on our socials so you do not miss out on great speakers and great episodes like this bye for now all right